Well, welcome to our online service for Sunday, May 3rd. What a joy it is to have you here with us this morning, this evening, whenever it is that you're watching this, we're glad you're here with us. You know, it was St. Augustine of Hippo who said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. We as created beings, we were designed for God and for God alone to have a certain fellowship, a certain intimacy with him. And until we find that, then we're going to feel like we're missing out. We're going to feel like there's something that is not right, and we're going to be constantly seeking for that. We need to make sure that this morning we look in the right place, and we're going to look in the direction of our great God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brought us back to him that we might know him, that we might fellowship with him, that we might experience that completeness that we were designed to have. And as we do, we're going to find peace, we're going to find hope, we're going to find joy. That is the God that we worship. That is the God that we desire to get closer to this morning as we look into his word and as we worship him with all of our hearts. Glad you're here with us. Would you pray with us as we begin? Lord, we just thank you so much for your presence here right in this place, whether it be morning, whether it be evening, Lord, you are with us. And God, we long to have more of you. We long to have a, a deeper understanding of you. We long to have a greater intimacy, a greater fellowship with you. And we pray that that would happen even now as we worship you and as we study your word. We love you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus Christ and making a way for us to be brought back to yourself. Would you bless this time? Would our worship be acceptable and honoring to you? We pray, God, in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Now let's worship together.
Let there be no higher name. 
my Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior
I stood there at the bedside of a man who was at the end of himself. Every ounce of strength depleted, every muscle, fiber, every sinew reduced to nothing more than a shrivel. Even his ability to speak had, had left him. But his eyes spoke volumes as they darted back and forth, scanning my face. To most people who would have looked at him, they would have seen nothing but loss, a tragic end to a life cut short. And yet, as painful as it was to think of his present suffering, I think he and I both knew that he stood on the doorstep of a glorious new beginning. And he was ready. The beauty of his faith, the strength of his character, the unwavering, unshakable trust that he had in God, that all testified to the fact that the sufferings that he endured, those weren't wasted. They'd actually prepared him for an endless stay in paradise with his maker. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. It's a question that maybe some of us would rather not be asked, but it's one that leads us to hope and endurance. One that gives us a new perspective on the difficulties that mark our stories. And the question is this. Could it be that God is using the sufferings of today to transform you into the person he wants you to be for eternity. We've been looking at the life of a man named Jacob. And God had plans for this man. Clearly, when he visited him in the dead of night, told him that he was going to be with him, that he was going to protect him, that his family was going to multiply, be like the dust of the earth, and actually bring blessing to all the earth's inhabitants. And, and God even told him that he would bring him back to the land that he promised. Jacob had plenty of reason to expect that God was going to do something special with his life. Now, my mom told me that I was special. Have you ever been told that? It, it gives you a different outlook on the future, doesn't it? It gives you a reason to hope, a reason to think that the good things must be coming your way. But as we mentioned last week, and we've been reflecting for a while now, Jacob's life was filled with difficulty. I mean, he was driven away by his brother. He was deceived by his uncle. He was caught in the middle of this bitter struggle between his two wives, Rachel and Leah. He was cheated out of his earnings. If you were Jacob, and you had heard that God was going to be there for you, to protect you, to never leave you, well, then how do you think that you would have responded to some of the difficult things that you were experiencing? Last week, we looked at how Jacob survived this final confrontation with Laban. Jacob had picked up his family and set off for the promised land. And his uncle, when he found out, he became enraged and, and took off for him in hot pursuit. But we read that God intervened. God prevented Laban from doing any real harm to Jacob. And that chapter finally was behind him. No more Laban. We're done. We're moving on. You'd think that he would have thought that he wasn't free and clear. But the reality was that tension was coming right around the corner. 
doesn't it seem like sometimes life is just one thing after another? A few weeks ago, I mentioned that the kitchen sink was leaking. Yeah, it, w- it was leaking. It was leaking from the backsplash, and so I sealed that. A little while later, started leaking from the sink edge. I sealed that. Put everything back in its place. Thought I was done. Another leak. This time from the faucet itself. Man, that wasn't something that was cheap to replace. But I finally did it, took care of it, all well and good. Wouldn't you know it, about a week later, another leak. This time coming from the garbage disposal. Now, I don't lose it very often, but I'll tell you that in the moments that followed, my family heard me sing a few verses of, Ah, cannot believe this. You have got to be kidding me. Look at what happened next for Jacob. Genesis 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angel of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now this is good. This is very good news for Jacob. An announcement from angelic visitors saying, this is God's camp? Now we're talking. God's got my back. On to Canaan, baby. We're going. I like what Kent Hughes writes. Jacob's sighting of angels was a visual confirmation of a deeper reality. Namely, that Jacob had been and would continue to be the object of God's relentless grace. That an intrusive, tenacious, contending, renovating grace was at work on his life to make him to be the man that God intended him to be. This grace could not be shut out, would not let him go, and fought with him and for him at every turn. God was with Jacob. That's a comforting thought, isn't it? But it, it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. In fact, traveling through life with God could mean even greater struggle because his goal is not to make the journey pleasant, but to make you into the person he wants you to be, a person who is ready for eternity. Going to, back to Canaan meant going back toward home. Jacob knew that there was some unfinished business back home. And as he prepared to enter that land that God had promised to bring him back to, Jacob knew that he had a tainted past. He was guilty. He had lived true to his name. He was actually a heel catcher. He was a crafty overreacher. He had wronged his brother. He knew that he needed to make it right. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 5.23. So Jacob makes preparations to do just that. He sends messengers on ahead to break the ice. But then they return. Verse 6 says this, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then we read, Jacob was greatly distressed, greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels in two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And out of the frying pan and into the fire, will the hurting ever stop? 
Laban was bad enough, but now I've got an army 400 strong bearing down on me? The hits just keep on coming. It says that Jacob was greatly afraid. He was distressed. I don't doubt it. Jacob immediately divides up all he has, all the people, all the livestock, all his belongings. He divides them into two camps. Okay, if one camp gets attacked, well, then maybe the other can scurry off and escape just in the nick of time. He also had a second part to his plan. He gathers some of his servants. He places in each of their charge a, a, a gift. He, he was hoping he, he might be able to somehow overwhelm his brother with gifts before seeing him face to face. Maybe that would cool him down. So he gathers goats and sheep and camels and donkeys and cows. All these animals. If you calculate it all out, it's, it's over 550 animals that were going to be delivered in five waves. And this was the sort of thing that was, was presented to kings. And the strategy, it was, it was really genius. Just as Esau had time to finish admiring one wave of the gift the next would arrive. And so it was like layer upon layer upon layer. And then finally, at the fifth wave, hopefully Esau's anger had been melted completely away. This was just like Jacob, wasn't it? He was a clever guy. He was a manipulator, a thinker, a man who knew how to get what he wanted. He was a heel grabber. He was a wheeler dealer, a man who not only knew what he wanted, but he, he actually did whatever it took to get what he wanted, to get ahead in life. But 20 years' time, it taught him something. Something had changed in this man. He, he learned that self-reliance was a risky business. And that true reliability for the road ahead, well, that was only found in God. He'd seen it before. When God overturned Laban's crafty plan by making all the flocks bear spotted, striped, and molted offspring... He saw God was reliable. He saw that God was, God was reliable when Laban uh, was confronted in a dream and told not to harm Jacob. Most recently, he saw that God was reliable when angels showed up reminding him that this is God's camp. God was with him. And so, after planning it all out, Jacob prays. Jacob knew that God was the only real solution to life's struggles. So he prays. Verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father, my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the seas, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Notice a few things about this prayer. First of all, he recalls God's word. God had visited him before, and he held on to that as a reason to hope. Do you have reason to hope? I think there are one or two promises that God has given us in his word that we might be able to hold on to as well. The next thing he does is express humility. He knew he, who he was. He knew he was a heel grabber. He was fully aware of his past sins. He knew he didn't deserve any good things that God had done for him. 
Are there ways that God has shown his steadfast love to you, even though you didn't serve it? Then he asks for help. There's nothing wrong with making plans and using the mind and the skills that God has given you, but Jacob knew that he couldn't rely on any of those things. He knew that the only real protection that he had, that was found in God. And then finally, he looks back at God's word again. And that's the reason he had any hope in the first place. That's the reason he can put one foot in front of the other and step into another day. God's word, it was a light to his feet. It was a lamp to his path. It was a firm foundation, the foundation upon which he walked. Are you standing on the promises of God as you find yourself in the eye of life's storms? Jacob was a person who had come to know that God was his one and only hope. And that calling on him was really the best option. But that didn't mean checking common sense at the door. He did what he could to protect his family. Verse 22 says this, The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. It was a dangerous thing to cross that river, especially at night, but that was a risk he was going to have to take. With his family now safely across, Jacob would spend the night on the other side. I don't think he expected to get much sleep that night. Maybe he thought, I'll stay awake and I will just pray. I'll guarantee you this. I guarantee you that he had no idea whatsoever of what was coming when a sudden hand, suddenly a hand reached out from the darkness, forcefully took hold of him. Immediately, he's, he's thrust into this epic battle which lasted through the night. How many hours did he spend twisting and, and turning and grabbing and tossing? I mean, he was, must have been sweat-soaked and spitting dirt as he wrestled this shadowy figure until this, the stranger finally decides to put an end to it. As the dawn was rising, he ends it. Verse 25 says this, When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, the language here, it indicates that this wasn't some massive blow. This was an almost effortless stroke. It was a demonstration of the kind of power that made Jacob think, something's up here. This is no ordinary man that I'm wrestling. This is, this is someone who doesn't belong here. Hosea 12.4 makes it clear that this was actually an angelic being. Just like he had been doing his whole life, Jacob was wrestling with God. And this wasn't simply a physical battle. This was a parallel to his entire life. You see, he had struggled for his brother's birthright. He struggled for his father's blessing. He struggled with his uncle Laban. Now he's struggling with God. And as he does, God is giving him a picture of what it looks like to struggle with God and win. And let me make this very clear. Struggling with God and winning doesn't mean that you beat him. And it doesn't mean that you get what you want. Winning in your struggle with God happens when he's transformed you in the person, into a person who's ready to step into his promises. Jacob was on the verge of stepping into the land that God had promised, but God had one final thing to change before he did so. 
the man says this in verse 26. Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now there's the Jacob that we have come to know and love, right? Still looking for what he can get out of the struggle. But actually, if you read Hosea, in Hosea 12, he tells us that, that Jacob actually wept as he asked for God's blessing. He asked for blessing through, through tears. It wasn't the demand of a victor. It was the plea of a broken man who had been brought completely to the end of himself. The man says to him, verse 27, what is your name? What is your name? And he said, Jacob. God didn't need to know Jacob's name. Of course, he already knew that. What's he doing? He's giving Jacob an opportunity to confess his true nature, Jacob. As the name rolled off of his lips, it, 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 it was a confession, a confession of guilt. It was a humble moment when a man who had struggled with God once and for all finally came to the end of himself. You see, for 20 years, God was at work in him, using hardship after hardship, struggle after struggle, doses of Jacob's own medicine coming back upon him, bringing Jacob to the point of absolute surrender. And here, as the night came to, to an end and dawn was breaking, Jacob's old identity would die and a new one would be given. Yes, yes, it's true. My name is Jacob. I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I'm a fraud, I, I deceived my father, I stole from my brother, twice! I don't deserve anything, I'm, I'm completely unworthy. And then the most powerful act of grace the man gives, he gives in these words, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you've striven with God and with man and have prevailed. The name Israel means God fights or God strives. What an incredible reminder that this would be for Jacob. All the while he was fighting, striving to get ahead, God was striving with him, not giving up on him, not finishing with him until the transformation was complete. And for all the struggles that would take place from that day forward, Jacob would no longer face them in his own power. No, he would know that even in his weakness, that God would be strong. Verse 29 says this, Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. The man doesn't answer Jacob's question, but he simply blesses him. This was a, a powerful, life-altering event. This was the end and the beginning all at once. This is how God prepared a man to enter into his promises. The remainder of the chapter reads like this. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. 
Now, Jacob had a good plan to make up for his past wrongs that had been done, to gain favor with his brother Esau. But you know what? God had bigger plans. Bigger plans than for Jacob just to arrive in that land safely. You see, the best thing for Jacob was not that he go on to be a wealthy man with the ability to buy off his brother and live a comfortable, prosperous life. The best thing for Jacob was to once and for all know that he was totally dependent on God. God was the source of his prosperity, his source of provision, his source of protection. Over the course of the last 20 years, God had shown him that he was working on him, shaping him, transforming him into a person that recognized his own weakness and relied upon God's strength. Now God would give him an unmistakable picture of how he breaks us down through struggle and wonderfully gives us a new identity that testifies to his grace. Jacob may have walked away from this wrestling match a crippled man, but let me tell you this, he was more whole than he had ever been in all his life. The text says that Jacob prevailed. What does it look like to win in God's economy? Could it be that the winners are the ones who have actually lost everything? That they're the ones who have been beaten down and broken? That they've been They're the ones that have been ravished and ridiculed. They're the ones who have been brought to the absolute end of themselves and found that all they ever dreamed of, and even more than that, is found in God. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are the poor. After that night of agony, Jacob knew that he was a transformed man, a man who is no longer a heel catcher, no longer reliant on his own creativity and his clever schemes. He was a man with a new name, a name that would testify to the fact that God fights, that God contends, that God persists. The name Israel, it's a testimony to all of us that God will do whatever it takes to make us into the people that he wants us to be, people who are fully prepared to enter into his promise. God prepared Jacob by allowing all kinds of calamity to come upon his life so that he might learn to trust, so that he might learn to obey before entering that land of promise. How's God preparing you to enter into his promises? Could it be that God is using the sufferings of today to transform you into the person he wants you to be for eternity Could the present hassles and hardships in your life actually be signs that God is wrestling with you? Could it be that he's working on you, refining you, transforming you into the person he wants you to be? A person ready to spend eternity with him in paradise. It's so easy to get down and discouraged, isn't it? We face struggle after struggle. We're brought to the very end of ourselves. Remember, that just as God wrestled with Jacob, the struggles that he allows us to walk through, they may be some of the greatest evidences of his transforming love. That's what Hebrews 12 reminds us of. Verse 3 says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of 
to the point of shedding your blood. And you've forgotten, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seems best to them, but the discipline, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make a straight path, make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though it was sought with tears. And then verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. What's the takeaway? The takeaway from Hebrews 12, I think, is this. Remember that the Lord disciplines those he loves. Lift your discouraged heads. Strive for peace. Strive for holiness. Don't exchange what is eternal for temporary relief. And then finally, praise and thank God for the kingdom he's preparing for you. That's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God graciously prepares us for heaven by refining us through struggle. When you feel like you're coming to the point where you can't endure any longer, don't lose heart. God is bringing you to the end of yourself that you might take on the identity of one who's ready for eternal paradise. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. And we thank you that that goodness, it doesn't always take the forms that we would like. Sometimes that goodness takes the form of struggle. Sometimes it takes the form of discipline. Sometimes it's you wrestling us, changing us into the people that we need to be. 
People that rely on you. People that humbly recognize our own frailty and our own faults. And we see in you everything that we need. We see you to be the glorious, gracious, wonderful, saving God that you are. We love you. Help us to endure even in the midst of struggle. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.